Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I, I think Pritchard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and nine. Welcome to week 31, count it, week 31 of Shark Sports Radio. Shout out to Reggie Miller for week 31. Alongside of me is nobody. It's yours truly, Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State. And as always, you can tune in using your Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and Spotify app. And as a reminder, you can check us out on Twitter at SSR2019 underscore and as always on Facebook at the Shark Sports Radio page. Thank you all for taking the dive into the tank tonight. We have a lot to cover. Super Bowl 55 is upon us. We have a week from this upcoming Sunday. We will discuss the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant, the latest NBA and Celtics talk, the Red Sox making moves with the New York Yankees. Yes, you heard that correctly, the New York Yankees. And with all that being said, we do have two teams left. In the NFL season. And then there were two. You have the Kansas City Chiefs. Against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This matchup. Has all the makeup. To be the level of LeBron James. Versus Michael Jordan. If that were to ever exist. Which it hasn't obviously. But you got the new age quarterback. Versus the old age quarterback. And the beauty in this game. Is there can be only one winner. Is it going to be the new guy or is it going to be the old guy? And Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you know, they become the first team in NFL history to host a Super Bowl at its home stadium. And it's going to be tough right now. I'm telling you, it's going to be tough for Tampa Bay and that defense. The secondary for Tampa Bay, it's okay. It's just not great. And it becomes a liability if you're not great especially against Tyreek Hill, especially against, you know, Travis Kelsey if he can get, you know, into the secondary, past the linebackers. I think the keys to this game, okay, for the Bucks at least, we'll start off with the Bucks is run defense. You have to limit Travis Kelsey. And by limit, it's very very difficult to limit this guy. But you have to limit Travis Kelsey and Tom Brady, as good as he was against the Green Bay Packers, he still had three interceptions. So he has to minimize those turnovers. So let's start off with the run defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, getting a really good pass rush is really important, and they're capable of doing it. But you have to stay consistent in stopping the run, which they have. They have only allowed 85.7 yards on the ground in this postseason. And a big props to you know Nadaba Kinsu, Jason Pierre-Paul, Levante David, Shaq Barrett. All these guys are getting after it. 
And they also have now Vita V coming in. And he is a guy that's a force, a big, huge body in order to stop the run, which he is capable of doing. Um, so I, I think, you know, the dynamic of the running backs, which we'll get into for Kansas City, kind of favors the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from a running game standpoint. Now, if you're talking pass game out of the backfield, that's a different story. But if you're talking about the running game, I think Tampa Bay can hold their own. Even if Le'Veon Bell gets touches, you know, you got Terrell Williams and you got Clyde edwards Lair, who are all capable of doing okay, but Tampa Bay can stop them. And 85 yards sounds about right. If I'm Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the number one thing is trying to stop the run. Because as much as, as great as Pat Mahomes is, and he's unbelievable, I always say if you can stop a quarterback, if you can hold a quarterback and make him one-dimensional and not have success in the running yards, all weight is put on their shoulders. And don't get me wrong, as good as Pat Mahomes is, when you have the bright lights and your running game is not going as well as consistent effectively as it should, you kind of get down. And you see, oh, like, am I going to be able to hold my own? Am I going to be able to throw the rock, you know, 40 attempts in the game? So it's important. It's important on both sides. So we're going to get into a Kansas City. But it's important for Tampa Bay to make Pat Mahomes one-dimensional. Limit Travis Kelsey. This guy is a force, okay? He might be even the secret weapon. We all know what Tyree Kill is, okay? Tyree Kill can go off, you know, for great yards. And he's unbelievable receiver. He's called the cheetah for a reason because he runs extremely fast and nobody can catch him. Nobody on this earth can catch him. That That's a point proven fact evident on the wall. That's where Tyreek Hill promises himself success. And so if you catch him in a state of mind where, you know, you're locking him down in the secondary, which is going to be tough. Carlton Davis, he's a good cornerback, but he's not great. And so I think Tyreek Hill is going to have his own. But going back to uh, Travis Kelsey, he allows Pat Mahomes to feel comfortable in the pocket, no matter what. Blocking, receiving, keeping plays alive, he is probably one of the best tight ends to ever do it from an improvisation standpoint because he allows himself to be successful within that realm. And he can kind of fit, I'll tell you what, if Russell Wilson was his quarterback, he would love Travis Kelsey because Travis Kelsey knows how to keep plays alive. And that's why Pat Mahomes loves him because Pat Mahomes, like Aaron Rodgers, they, they have that capability of, you know, sustaining themselves and not getting too, you know, curious or, you know, having significant warning of, of a good pass rush. They have the capability of rolling outside the pocket, being mobile and getting after it and trying to find open seams and make plays happen. And again, Travis Kelsey, Shaq Barrett, Levante David, the linebackers for Tampa Bay, they have to come with full force because so I think limiting Travis Kelsey is a big, big point in this game. And again, the third point is Brady minimizing turnovers. As good as Brady is, he is the GOAT. But let's just be honest. He's all about winning. Winning is everything with Tom Brady. That's why he is the GOAT. He is the Michael Jordan of football. But he can't allow himself to throw those type of interceptions. And a big purpose, and I'll tell you what, Tyron Matthew, he's going to be spying on Tom Brady the entire game. And if Tom Brady, you know, has struggles against the Green Bay Packers defense, 
oh my goodness, he's going to have a lot of trouble against the Kansas City Chiefs defense because Tyron Matthew, you got Breland, you got di- different pieces in the secondary that can show up. Shout out to Spagnola, uh, Springfield College alum. Shout out to him as being a champion of uh, this past year and um, in years past with the New York Giants. But going back to you know the defense of Kansas City, Kansas City has a really good pass rush. They can get after it. Now, do they have flaws in the linebacker? Sure, they do. The, they're obviously, you know, th- they have gaping holes here and there. But I will say, again, if Tom Brady throws three interceptions, Patrick Mahomes is going to make him pay. Patrick Mahomes will make him pay significantly. Let's just be outright brutally honest. Aaron Rodgers is good. He's great. Okay, he's top three in the NFL when it comes to, you know, being a, a specialized um, you know, quarterback that knows what he is good in that system of Matt LaFleur. With Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy and all those special weapons pieces around him, my goodness, you have got to be on your A game, Tom Brady, when I say do not turn over the football. If you turn over the football, it's going to be a brutal game. It's going to be a blowout. If I suggest anything, Bruce Arians in that coaching staff, Byron Leftwich. You have to have Tom Brady ready and not having him throw, you know, three interceptions because he's not going to win that game if he does. I'm just being honest. If we're going to talk about the keys to the game for the Kansas City Chiefs, I feel like the biggest thing going into this game is stopping the run. The reason why it's more important to stop the run against Tom Brady than it is against Patrick Mahomes is because Tom Brady doesn't have mobility. Yes, he runs on fourth and one. He tries to run, you know, third and one. All that, okay? QB sneaks, he's great at that. But you're telling me a 43-year-old quarterback can run out of the pocket and and throw, you know, a 70-yard bomb like Patrick Mahomes? No. (laughs) Let's just be honest. Tom Brady is not that. What Tom Brady is good at is his pocket presence, his timely fashion on quick throws, being able to get the most of his receivers and what they do best. Chris Godwin, really good slot receiver, can go down the field. You know, Mike Evans, he's really a one-shot wonder. You run him down the field, throw the ball up, you know, he can make some plays. Scotty Miller, same type of situation. Cameron Bray, so on and so forth. Rob Gronkowski. But when you look at Tom Brady and his skill set, why it's important for Kansas City to stop the run is because you can keep Tom Brady one-dimensional with a pass rush. And if you stop Leonard Fournette and you stop Ronald Jones on first down, no gain or one yard gain, you know, second and nine and, you know, third and four become really, really important for Tom Brady and third down success. Because when Tom Brady sees a pass rush, he gets inside of his head and he boggles up and he doesn't like physicality from, from a defensive standpoint, good pass rush teams. Like I said, in previous podcasts, it allows Tom Brady to get vulnerable and to make stupid decisions and again you're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time but we're talking about that because he is a winner he knows how to win games okay that's why he's the GOAT not because the stats yes you know he's had a couple really good record-breaking years but in other years he hasn't been And, and so I just think he knows how to win and that's why if I'm Kansas City I'm creating havoc when it comes to running that football you you have to find a way in order to make yourself better from a coaching standpoint, especially Andy Reid and against Bruce Arians. You have to get smart. You have to allow your your specialist 
to do what they do best. And Tyree Kill, his speed and his awareness from the outside. And then you got McCole Harbin and you have Travis Kelsey and Robinson and you got a lot of good players. Maybe Sammy Watkins makes a presence in the Super Bowl. You just never know. I think it's really, really important for Kansas City to develop. Whether that's passes out of the backfield, running the football, whatever it is, the running backs need to have some kind of presence because you can't have all the pressure on Travis Kelsey, on Tyreek Hill. You know, McKill Hardman can hold his own, but we saw, you know, fumbles and, and he made up for it with, um, you know, a 50 to 70 yard bomb, whatever it was. I'm just being brutally honest with you. If it's a grinded out kind of game, it's bad news for Patrick Mahomes. Let's just be real. Tom Brady is really good in close games and when he's falling behind. Now, if it's a shootout, if it's a shootout, give me Patrick Mahomes any day of the week. Let's just call it what it is. You know, let's just say it's 38 to 24 type of game. I honestly will take Patrick Mahomes over a 43-year-old Tom Brady. I think that could possibly happen where Kansas City gets up in the in the game and they lock down the run and then all of a sudden in the second half, you know, Tom Brady tries to make a run and you know he falls short. And he falls short to again the new age quarterback. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I just can see that happening. And I think Patrick Mahomes is capable of winning back to back. He he's a superb quarterback. If we're talking about one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, Tom Brady is definitely the greatest quarterback of all time. But, and I mentioned this to my fiance, I think Patrick Mahomes can make a statement in the Super Bowl and beyond to become the greatest quarterback of all time. And he's got a long way, okay? I'm not going to jump the gun. He's got a long way to do it. But if he does allow himself to be successful this year, it's going to be very, very difficult. You can see a run like the Golden State Warriors made in the NBA. Until somebody gets hurt, that's pivotal, a part of their system. I really can't see the Kansas City Chiefs not representing the AFC. They're just really a force. And my goodness, every single year you go in and you can just write them in into the Super Bowl. If I am the Kansas City Chiefs and I'm part of that fan base, I am so excited for years to come. Not only Patrick Mahomes, not only Andy Reid, but you know you got Tariq Hill. The only thing I will say is Eric Bieniemy. if he takes a coaching job, which he should at some point, some team has to jump on him and allow him to be a good coach because he's very charismatic. You can see it. He knows the game of football you know, inside and out. He's just a very intelligent football coach. And he means well. He's a humble guy. He kind of reminds me of like in Miami, just like a Brian Flores, very, you know, to himself, but humble and able to create a culture with the team. And, th- and that's what it's about. It's about creating culture. And you look at Andy Reid, he's made it there. You look at Bruce Arians, you know, he kind of rode, um, you know, Tom Brady's coattails and, you know, said, hey, Tom, what do you need? You know, you can have Antonio Brown. You can have Rob Gronkowski. You know, you can have Chris Godwin, Mike Evans. You can have all of them. We're going to give you everything. You just got to make us a Super Bowl champ. And that's the the quest that they're on, obviously. But again, I, I think you just look at the two coaches and I couldn't stop laughing um, prior to this podcast. And if you look at the two coaches, Andy Reid and Bruce Arians, this is going to be a battle. It reminds me of the, the 90s and a Nintendo throwback reference here. Okay, The Mario characters, Wario and Bowser. 
and you can decide who's who. I'm not going to, to decide who's who unless, you know, we really get into specifics, the mustache, the, you know, the anger in Andy Reid, the, the munching on the sidelines. You know, everybody was talking about him eating popcorn inside that mask uh, against the Buffalo Bills, which I thought was just hilarious. Those stories are similar when it comes to Andy Reid and Bruce Arians. You know, you look at Andy Reid and what he did, uh, you know, before with Patrick Mahomes. You know, he had to deal with trying to get over an accomplishment with uh, Donovan McNabb, one of the one of the better quarterbacks in Philadelphia Eagles history. But he couldn't, and he fell short every single time. And now Patrick Mahomes is there, and he's living it up. And this past year kind of showed what he's capable of doing in in the regular season and in the postseason. And the same goes for Bruce Arians. He took over for Ken Wisenhunt. Uh, Ken Wisenhunt made it to the Super Bowl, I believe it was in 2009, uh, against the Steelers. And again, they fell short. And then Bruce Arians took over. And, you know, Bruce Arians, they always had a good regular season. They did. You look at Arizona Cardinals, they had a high-powered offense. You know, they had Ancon Bolden, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, Edger and James. At one point, they had their defense was outstanding, actually. Um, but I just, I can't fathom what, you know, Andy Reid and that, that team has the capability of doing against Bruce Arians and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I'm not going to predict. We will talk about that in the next podcast, but I will say it's going to be very inviting and I wish you guys, you know, the best in picking your picks because it's going to be tough. It's not going to be as easy as I'm talking. I think it's going to be very, very tough in deciding, you know, do you go new age quarterback or do you go old age quarterback? And you do you go with a, a coach that hasn't won it? That's determined that that has put the pieces around him to in order to be successful, or do you go with the status quo team that's always going to be there when it's all said and done with the Kansas City Chiefs and Andy Reid? And we'll see. But again, I'll give my conclusion and my pick in the next podcast. Moving on, we have Kobe Bean Bryant. He passed away, I believe, one year ago today. Exactly. It was just a start to a troubling year. Right, we had COVID, we had you know different times going on. Donald Trump in office. It was just it was a bad start to the year. It was really bad. I definitely hope it gets better, like everybody else. But the year of 2020 literally kicked everybody square in the face. In the wherever you want to get kicked that hurts the most, <laughs> face is probably the best. When you have a guy like Kobe Bryant, you just appreciate who he was as a person. You appreciate him being a, a really good father, a friend, um, and really an inspiring figure. A lot of the different players throughout NBA history and current times. I just continue to see it in everybody's game and um, the workmanship off the court and on the court. It just becomes very contagious. You can see it flashes of the step back in Jason Tatum, the killer mentality and Devin Booker, you know, especially in the bubble where he was able to create his own shot and he came out of nowhere, you know, the energy and urgency, relentlessness of LeBron James, Jamal Murray, and Donovan Mitchell, you know, LeBron James winning his, um, again, another NBA championship and having the 18th banner with the LA Lakers tied with the Boston Celtics. It just continues to know that Kobe Bryant will forever be missed, but let's not get it twisted. He is here. You can see it within the games of these players and what they, you know, how they're kind of replicating his style of basketball 
And it's so good to see. And especially for from my standpoint, right? So I, I was watching, you know, all the emotional part of it and understanding like you really understand where these players come from. You really understand like the weight that Kobe Bryant has put on their shoulders in their early careers. And I always grew up as a, um, you know, MJ, Allen Iverson, Shaq, Kobe, you can throw in the mix. But I, I feel like Kobe really struck stride when he started winning championships. And obviously, you know, with the Shaq days and, you know, being able to run the, the you know, the court with Derek Fisher and Pau Gasol and Lamar Odom, who was just unbelievable through that stretch. You can't overlook r- truly the presence that Kobe Bryant had on this, these players. It's really, really nice to see. Like I said, I grew up watching all these, you know, different figures, but the new age kids, you know, the millennials, they grew up watching Kobe Bryant and calling them kids. I'm 30 years old, but you know, Jason Tatum, you know, he's right around 23. And then, you know, Devin Booker is probably like within the mid 20s. So a lot of these guys grew up watching, you know, Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. And so it's very, very touching, especially today to know that's the one year anniversary of Kobe Bryant and he will forever be missed. I mean, like I said, NBA history, you look, I'm getting kind of caught up because you look, look back and you can just see how much how much of a presence Kobe Bryant truly had. And the, the tweets, the the Facebook statuses, the Instagram posts, it was truly a lot to take in. It was. And especially, you know, with him gone so early in his life and he had so much to give and Gianna, same thing. Gigi, it was really, really hard to, you know, fathom that he was gone this early. But again, you know, I think we have to honestly give the tip of the cap and, you know, look up to the sky and, uh, you know, give our prayers to, to Kobe Bryant and, and his family, his current family here on earth. So, um, yeah, rest in peace, Mamba. Um, I, I just, I was, I'm a Celtics fan at heart, but I'm also an NBA guy. And I know how much you put, you put a lot of work into your craft and you were, uh, you were a successful figure in the NBA and a perfectionist, a master man, myth, legend, whatever you want to call him, he deserves that label. If we were to jump in today's NBA with the Celtics, okay? Uh, Celtics are second in the East behind the 76ers. And as you can imagine, we're about one fourth of the season, you know, has gone uh, for the 2021 season. But man, you, you just can't say enough about the Jays. Right, the Jays, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. I'm not honestly shocked about it because I thought he was going to be a good pro, but he is just exceeding exponential expectations when it comes to him, not only on the court but off the court too. And I think a lot of motivation is with the Black Lives Matter and you know everything going on outside the lines and with a lot of politics in the mix, the the different uh, protests. It's truly remarkable and inspirational about what he has done throughout this period of time. Now, listen to me really quick, okay? He had 33 points in 19 minutes, and he has become a part of a record-breaking, you know, in league history. That is so substantial, 33 points in 19 minutes. And the last person to do that was Kevin Durant. And just to be in the same sentence as Kevin Durant, we know what Kevin Durant is about, 
But these guys are literally playing at that that level, that stage of where Kevin Durant is, and at such a young age. And you know, you just look at his scoring presence. I mean, he's tied. I mean, he's tied for sixth in the NBA with like twenty seven point seven points per game. That's just unheard of, and you could just see it. The motivation, the tenacity, the determination every single game. You can see Jalen Brown truly playing at a high level. Jason Tatum is now back into the fold, you know, 26.6 points per game. And, you know, Kemba Walker is now coming along. And, you know, Jason Tatum's growth has been so substantial. And Drew Hamlin, shout out to him. He's been unbelievable with these guys in the offseason. And you look across the NBA, who he has, you know, trained and, it's just so great to see, and I, I think, honestly, Drew Hamlin's taking a page out of Kobe Bryant's book and making these guys all better, and um, the detailed work, you know, the detailed part of it, which is on ESPN+, Plus. shout out to ESPN+, Plus with uh, Vince Carter now taking over, it's really nice to see a lot of these former players or, you know, professionalists when it comes to the game of basketball really taking charge and allowing these players to get the best ability um, and put the best product on the court. So I think the training, the work off the court is just as important on the court. Preparation is so key. You know, talk about free throws. The only way you're going to get better with free throws is practice, right? It's all repetition. So, you know, if you make 7 out of 10 free throws, it could be 9 out of 10 the next day. So as, as long as you get better and keep working on that and specifically hone into your craft, that's exactly what Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have done. Now, I do want to make a point because I think it's truly, honestly uh, pivotal moving forward for the Celtics and their success. Kemba Walker's minutes are going to go up. And the ball can only be, only be shared in so many ways. And I know Kemba's okay you know, with taking the backseat to the backseat because you got Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum really riding shotgun and one's the driver. So who's going to be in the backseat? And that's Kemba Walker. As you can see, Kemba Walker's fine with it as long as he, you know, has the ability to make it to playoffs and have a shot at an NBA championship. You're specifically seeing it with Gordon Hayward in Charlotte currently. Gordon Hayward is playing out of his mind. I think he's averaging right around 24 to 25 points, maybe even higher, but he's on a total tier. I think the other night he had like around 36 points and like five rebounds, whatever it was. But you're seeing it with Gordon Hayward and his capability of becoming a playmaker. And that doesn't translate to what the Celtics needed. And so I do want to bring this up because I think it's, like I said, important moving forward. Kemba Walker likes to do what he does best. You know, one-on-one game, you know, maybe a pick and roll, pick and pop type of situation. He is a liability when it comes to defense because of his height and size. But when Kemba Walker has the ball, he has a clutch gene in him. He knows how to make plays. He knows how to you know find the right turn you know with the knob and you know the ability to get to the hoop with ease and create his own shot. That is for sure his capability. But I will say the ball won't be in his hands as much. And again, I don't know what the effect will be. And you didn't see it last year. You know, he got hurt, but we didn't fully see what he is capable of doing with these Jays and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So I do want to see what happens because I'm curious. I'm curious how Brad kind of utilizes Kemba as a strength and core, maybe around the perimeter, 
maybe you know a little pick and roll, pick and pop kind of action because they have one, two, three, four different options that they can possibly have on the court. I can see Jalen Brown getting his touches right. J- Jason Tatum, they're they're going to want their touches because they are so important to the Celtics' success, and they know they are. And their growth and development is a one for Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens. That is the most important thing right now is the growth and development and progression of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for the Celtics front office by far. And so I got to see what Kemba Walker does. Does he, you know, decide to go one-on-one sometimes and shoot the three? That's not good for the offense. You might see Kemba average 15 to 18 points per game, maybe going forward. I can see that happening. With Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, they're so damn good right now that they are happy with what they're doing. You know, scoring right around 55 points total per game. And so the way I look at it is how special, how special these two have been in allowing Brad Stevens to grow with other players. And you're seeing it. You're seeing Carson Edwards get more motivation. Marcus Smart has always been there and done that. He's a playmaker. He's a defensive-minded guy. His shot selection has been unbelievable this year in a great way um, because in years past, he has shot threes like crazy. He's now looking for you know the second opportunity instead of just trying to go one-on-one every single time. It allows isolation at points for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And the ability to create on their own does become a sticking point with me because you'd like to see a little bit of the basketball being shared, but they are so good at creating their own, getting to the hoop, utilizing Euro step, shooting threes from downtown. They're shooting at an unbelievably good clip, right around 41%, 42%. I forget the number, but it's it's substantial. Those two combined allow, again, you know, Taco Fall to get touches, Rob Williams, um, Aaron Neesmith, Shimmy Oljale. You can go down the line. I'm not going to name every play on the roster, but it does allow also you have a good guy to rebound like Tristan Thompson and, and Daniel Tice and Rob Williams to grab those boards when Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum miss. And it's a make and miss league. I don't care if you look at it from 90 standpoint to 80s to 70s to 60s. It's a make or miss league. And especially in this era of basketball, it's all about the three-pointer. It is. I don't like it. I don't. I, I wish there was more schematic approach to it. But Brad Stevens and that team likes to play the numbers game. And if the numbers favor out, which most certainly nine out of ten times they do, it allows the players to play at their strengths. And their strengths are creating their own. Whether that's you know pulling back for a 30-footer instead of going to the hoop when you're down one. Or, you know, allowing yourself to play uh, back to the basket and getting to the hoop with ease and and one opportunities versus shooting a three. So what I'm trying to get at is, is it the best brand of basketball? No. But is it the Jays brand of basketball? Yes. And I think it's okay moving forward for Brad Stevens and the Celtics to play like. Very quickly, I think we're going to see what, the Celtics are capable of doing with these three players, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. You're going to see it on Wednesday against the San Antonio Spurs. And it will be a great opportunity, you know, if COVID doesn't hit anymore, COVID-related injuries or what have you, 
we are going to see the Celtics at a high level what they're capable of doing. And then as we get on to the early into the, the second half of the season is when you truly see this team strike stride. The midpoint of the season is going to be very important for these guys to get rest rather than go to the All-Star game. But you're going to see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum there. That is evident. If they don't make it, because I want this team to get the most exposure, the, the gratitude, just to be able to deserve what they, the effort that they put on the court. And these two d- deserve it. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was unbelievable to start the year. And then once he hit COVID, you kind of saw Jalen Brown now progress and develop. And that's going to be important. That's going to be very, very important. You're seeing against Chicago what they're capable of doing. Great. Let's see what you're capable of doing against Philly. Let's see what you're capable of doing against the Lakers. These are the type of teams that you're going to have to beat and have extremely good basketball. Peyton Pritchard being out with the MCL is definitely tough and brittle. But again, it gives guys to step up. And and Romeo Lankford, when he comes back healthy, he's going to be a substantial guy in that rotation. And he's going to definitely, in practice, going to have to get his minutes earned. There's a lot of depth, but there's not much talent. You get what I'm saying? So if Romeo Lankford can step in and bring that talent, he allows himself to get ahead of the game. And also, there's a rumor out there, J.J. Braddock may get traded. I think the Celtics should look into his services. I think a three-point shooter just makes Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum uh, more attractive getting into the paint and kicking it out for three. And then all eyes are kind of on J.J. Redick from three um, and allows Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown literally to get to the hoop with these, which they've been doing. But again, if there is one guy that I have eyes on, is uh, J.J. Redick. And I don't care what defensive liability he is. He can make shots. Um, and again, you already have a defensive liability in Kemba Walker anyway. So as long as you put points on the board and you know Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown do what they do defensively with Rob Williams and Daniel Tyson and Tristan Thompson, you can get away with it. And Jason Tatum, don't sleep on him. He's a really good defender. A lot of people overlook him. But um, again, uh, you know, being second in the East right now, feeling good about themselves. I did have them, you know, slotting fifth uh, when it's all said and done at the end of the year, if you want to go back to previous podcasts. So um, I will live up to that name, uh, whatever that name is at the end of the year. But I, I will say my expectations for this team have exceeded. And that's a good thing. And so you kind of got to set a low bar and then work your way up. Let's get into the Boston Red Sox, right? The Red Sox. Made a trade with, drumroll please, the New York Yankees. (laughs) The New York Yankees. I will say that again. The New York Yankees. That's right. The historic rivalry has made its second trade since 2014. Can you name that trade for me? You're probably thinking to yourself, you can't even hear me. So if even if I did say it, you wouldn't give me credit. No, I'm going to give you credit because I think you may know. Okay, the Yankees sent Kelly Johnson to Boston in exchange for Steven Drew. That was the last trade in 2014 at the MLB trade deadline that the Red Sox have made with the New York Yankees. But now, here in 2021, a brand new year, brand new me, 30 years of age here. Okay, the Red Sox and Yankees agreed to a trade with Adam Adovino and pitching prospect Frank Herman. 
to the Red Sox in exchange for cash considerations, cash considerations, or a player named Leiter. And obviously, this was a, a salary dump for the Yankees. You know, they'd been taking on salary with you know a whole lot of moves. You know, their second baseman DJ. I don't like to pronounce his last name because it doesn't make any sense to me. Lemehu, I believe it is. So, I just I I definitely take pride and being a Boston Red Sox fan. I do. But there are times where you just question the moves of this this front office and Chom Blue, you know, he has or I should say Han Blue, he's definitely a guy that's going to have to, you know, find his way and earn the stripes of, you know, the fans here in Boston. And has he done it? Maybe this offseason he kind of has. I think he needs to, you know, definitely make another move. Um, they have a lot of different players in the mix. You know, Marcelo Zunia is the guy that comes to my my eyes as being a perfect fit in, in the outfield. But they got Kike Fess, right? He signed a two-year deal worth $14 million. And then you got Garrett Richards, who has a sub-4 ERA. He can be added to the pitching rotation, you know, one year worth $10 million. And then you add Adam Adovino in the bullpen. So you're adding arms. It's all going to come down to, I'm being honest, I wish the the Red Sox did something about the rotation this offseason because a lot of the weight is going to be back on Chris Sale. It's going to be back on Chris Sale. You have Eddie Rodriguez. You got Nathan Avaldi. When healthy, you have a really good one, two, three. And you add Garrett Richards into the mix, he can become a, either a third starter or fourth starter. But when you look at the overall rotation moving forward into 2021 there are going to be times where these players are going to need some rest and for my eyes I don't see enough pitching depth and I think the Red Sox definitely have a little more ways to go in this offseason I'm not going to just you know slam the book shut and call it a day that's not what's going to happen but you could definitely see them going out and trying to make a trade with you know Andrew Penatendi maybe a team you know, like the, the Pittsburgh Pirates could need them or, you know, you look at Phillies or, you know, just you just kind of hope that maybe Bloom has an idea of gathering more pitching prospects. You know, turn nothing into something. He's done it minorly um, here at the Red Sox, but he did it significantly with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's built that farm system and he allowed them to be successful with such young talent just look at again the offseason of what the Red Sox are capable of doing I think there's a lot of moves still need to be made for sure and I think the number one thing that they got done and it was very very important is getting a manager like Alex Cora a guy that people can most certainly rely on um, you know really good players manager he, he has a really good head on his shoulders from a baseball standpoint but offensively I don't have an issue with them I think the Red Sox is going to be tremendous off- offensively. I really, really do. Um, regardless of what they do with Andrew Benatendi, um, I think they they will have a successful year hitting the, the baseball. When it comes to pitching, it's going to rely on, again, their horse, their ace, Chris Sale. And, and then you, Garrett Richards might have a really good year with Nathan Avaldi, And maybe that kind of helps You know the, the loss of you know, possibly Chris Sale, you know, having to take away innings pitched. Because if you go through 
one, two Tommy John surgeries can't do as much as you used to, right? So you're losing velocity, you're using your losing your fastball, you're losing your mechanics from you know curveball standpoint, change up. There's a lot of mechanics that go into a pitcher, right? When you have Garrett Richards and Nathan Valdi, it can kind of make up for the loss if they get over that hump. And Eddie Rodriguez, um, before he went down with COVID last year, and even the year before, he had he's had a successful year. And again, I think the offense will allow you know to pick them up, to pick the pitching up when needed. Um, but again, bullpen's going to be really, really important for this Boston Red Sox team. And I wouldn't be, I honestly won't be shocked if Adam Alvino becomes, you know, a setup guy or, you know, sometimes closes. So it's going to be by committee again for the bullpen, the rotation. Let's see what they're capable of doing before we write the ship off. But I do like that they at least made the moves and Kike from Puerto Rico will be a great acquisition for this team, and especially at the second base and outfield depth for insurance policies. So I'm looking at the Red Sox as a good head on their shoulders this offseason, but they have to do more. And let's see what they're capable of doing. And next week, we will get into the Super Bowl picks. We will also break down all the latest and greatest throughout the sports world. Tune in next week. Thank you.